0: Welcome to the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast for Wednesday, July 20th. Hope you're all enjoying your summer. We are closer to the start of football training camp. Praise the Lord for that one. This is Mark Schofield with you on the Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zotta is out today, but I'm joined by one of the great new writers with Inside the Pylon. He's been with us for a little while now, and that's Sal Conti. Sal, thanks for joining me today, man. Good to be here, Mark. So I want to talk about a piece that you've got up on inside the pylon today about evaluating upfield burst. But before we dive into that, can you kind of give me like the quick spitball on your perspective and your background background and kind of how that helps your evaluation process?
1: Quick spitball on my background. Sure. So right now uh, I'm the student assistant, offensive line coach slash assistant to the recruiting coordinator at uh, central Connecticut state university up in new Britain, Connecticut. Um, I think, that perspective of being in rooms in terms of uh, recruiting meetings and and coaches' meetings and understanding how players are being coached and and the different variables that go into how their performance is affected um, really helps me look at players on the field, Um, understanding what players are coached to do, what assignments they have, and how they can be adjusted by what defenses throw at them on a week-to-week basis. So I think it really helped me, especially with this upfield burst piece and understanding, and we'll go into it later on, um, how these defensive linemen, what their assignments is and what they're being coached to do can affect the rough field bursts and how it can create kind of an illusion of what it could or could not be.
0: Now, we were chatting for a few minutes before uh, we sort of hit the record button and started this episode about you're basically just on the verge of camp yourself. Is that right?
1: That's true. It's correct.
0: So, I mean, you're already diving in and starting to look at tape for the next season. I mean, football season never ends, does it?
1: Right. (laughs) You're right about that, man.
0: So let's talk about the article you've got up right now. It's about evaluating upfield burst. Now, when you talk about upfield burst, what is it and what are you looking for from a defensive player?
1: So upfield burst in itself is kind of quick and dirty. Um, It's basically in the defense alignment's first three steps, you know, how much can you affect the offense alignment in front of you? Um, As far as the pass game goes, we're looking to affect pass sets right away. As far as the run game goes, you're looking to get a good head start into your fit and make sure you really affect and lock out that offensive lineman and prevent him from completing his assignment cleanly. Um, So basically, in a nutshell, that's all upfield burst is, but there's a number of variables as it pertains to um, how a player is being coached that can affect that. Um, For example, if you look at, um, if you're in a two-gap technique, You know, some people will look at that player and say, hey, you know, this player doesn't get off the ball too fast like a a penetrating one-gap player, when in reality, you know, you can look at that and say, hey, his job isn't to to scream upfield on this particular play. His job is to keep the offensive lineman in front of him and play off of that player. So I I think that's one example, perfect example of, you know, when upfield burst matters and when it doesn't.
0: Now... The magic word is always is context, and you dive into at the beginning of this piece the three ways that defensive linemen can get off the ball, and how it's important to sort of parse out what their assignment is when you're evaluating their upfield burst. What are those three ways?
1: For sure, and I jumped the gun a little bit right there, so I'll go over these three. I'll sure, go over no these worries. three right now. So those three ways that a defensive lineman can get off the ball um, are, like I said previously, to read the offensive line. Um, you're, which basically means you're moving on that defensive lines movement. You're playing the offensive lineman, and uh, your assignment is dictated based on whatever that man does. Um, you have your snap slash cadence anticipation, which means that you're anticipating the cadence and jumping on what you think is the snap. Um, those type of players can get bitten by hard counts and things of that nature. And then the third one is the most common one. You have your see the ball and move, which is you know, you have your head tilted inside to the ball, Uh, Whenever that ball moves, you move. And that's pretty much the most common train of thought, more so than the other two.
0: Let's start with the most common one, then. That's key in the football. You've got in your piece, you're looking at Miles Garrett from Texas A&M. What did you find when you were looking at Garrett when he was using this technique with respect to his upfield burst?
1: So this technique really allows you to evenly diagnose a defensive lineman's processing and quick twitch athletic traits as it pertains to upfield burst. So Garrett was a pretty clear-cut, perfect example of this. He was leveraging the technique of keying the ball, and he's also an extremely, extremely good athlete. So as you'll see on the, as see on the piece on Wednesday, um, you can see that his eyes were keying the ball. You can see how quickly he can recognize this by how fast he gets off the ball with his first two steps. And because he's so athletic and explosive in his lower body, he takes his first two or three steps upfield around two and a half, to two and three quarter yards. And what that does to the offensive tackle's pass set is it gets him off balance. And when an offensive tackle's off balance, he can't do things like redirect versus inside moves, brace versus power, or be prepared to mirror any sort of hand fight or upfield rush move. So I found this to be a really very good trait and disruptive trait for Miles Garrett um, because I knew the technique he was using of keying the ball I knew that I had an even ability to assess uh, his processing skills as it pertains to being able to recognize the ball being snapped and also his quick twitch uh, athletic traits, his lower body, his sheer explosive speed off the ball to get his first two or three steps in the ground and gain as much yards possible, which threatened the offensive tackles pass that vertically and really all the way around and caused a hurry and a sack on that given play.
0: Now, you mentioned the ability to glean some insight into his process and ability. What is it about using this technique that allows you to sort of get into the mind of a defensive lineman?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Uh, And I think as you watch more tape on a player, you'll understand, as you brought up before, context where that player struggles and where that player succeeds. And as far as something as simple as upfield burst, you'll really be able to um, tell how a player processes when you can see how fast he's reacting to that ball. And, that, and you can see that in different situations. You know, Does a player get tired, or if and when a player gets tired, does that affect his ability to consistently key the ball and get off? You know, Is it a third down thing? Is it a crowd noise thing when he's only really good at getting off the ball when he has crowd noise behind him playing at home? Um, there, there's a bunch of different types of, uh, of situations and contexts to keep key in, in this situation. So I think the number one thing, uh, when you're looking at a D lineman that's keying the ball is that this is a perfect opportunity. You can sit down and say, Hey, you know, I have a situation where this player is keying the ball and I have a perfect opportunity to equally assess both his quick twitch athletic traits and his mental processing ability.
0: Now, and in terms of if people listen to this and then they want to start doing their own film work, their own all valuation work. How can you tell what a defensive lineman is using this technique as opposed to the others?
1: So from a broadcast angle, it could be tough to tell. Um, just because of the nature of it. Um, But normally when a defensive lineman's keying the ball, you can see a slight helmet tilt towards the ball. Yeah, it's pretty simple there. Um, As opposed to, for example, another technique we'll go over when you're reading the offensive lineman, where you'll see his helmet square up with the offensive lineman watching his every move. So when you're looking for a defensive lineman to key the ball, his helmet will usually be slightly tilted inside towards the ball. You could also see his entire body tilt towards the ball, but those are more for your edge rusher types um, on third down or extreme pass situations.
0: Now let's move to that second method of getting off the snap, <clears> getting off the line, and that is, as you just mentioned, keying the offensive lineman. What are the keys that defensive linemen look for when they're trying to read an offensive lineman, and then how does that play into your evaluation of upfield burst?
1: So this technique, uh, I found more teams leverage with two-gap players, as I briefly touched on before. So the piece in the piece, the uh, example I made note of was uh, DeForest Buckner um, when he played in Oregon's front in 2015. And you'll see him go against uh, Michigan State's left tackle Jack Conklin. Uh, and, and you'll see him line up in sort of what people call a frog stance, which is I- instead of having your weight more on your hands with ready to penetrate upfield, you'll see his hand straight down on the ground and his weight on his backside sitting a little more like he's sitting down in a chair. He's not looking to push up field right now. Uh, he just wants to be in a good athletic position where he can absorb the blow of the offensive lineman, play with leverage, lock out and shed to whichever run gap he needs to go to, if indeed it is a run play. So it's less weight on the front hand and more sitting back and, and playing reactionary to the offense with square shoulders and a helmet facing the offensive lineman.
0: Now, you as you just mentioned, you looked at that matchup between uh, DeForest Buckner and Jack Conklin, when you saw Butner using this technique against Conklin, what stood out to you or didn't stand out to you when you were looking at his upfield burst?
1: So one thing that stood out to me, and I'll make note of this in the piece, is that Michigan State uh, often leverage the play-action pass game, especially from under center. And what this does is the initial play fake sells run to all those mm. D linemen. So what do those two-gap D linemen do? They play their run, which means they sit back, They play with leverage, they play with strength, and they look to shed the run blocker in order to find the ball. Well, once they see play-action pass, they have to react to pass late and get to their pass rush lanes. So now that takes away any chance of rushing with an outside shoulder or rushing with the prior knowledge that they know it's pass play. They have to play the run first in order to get to their pass assignment. So this allows Connor Cook in this game to have a clean pocket because the play-action moves their D-lineman to their pass rush setting too late.
0: Now, from what you just described, it seems like somebody could watch that game, see plays like this, and come away thinking, Buckner doesn't get upfield pass fast. He doesn't have good upfield burst. But that would be an oversimplification of it, right?
1: That's correct. And I think later on in this piece, I move to another play. If you look at exactly what you said, if I want to evaluate DeForest Buckner's upfield burst, I don't want to look at situations where he's two-gapping, where his primary job is not to burst upfield, simply put. I want to look at situations where he has an outside shoulder to rush on. He's playing a B or a C gap. He's a B or a C gap player. So, for example, if he's lined up in a three technique against Washington State and it's first and 20, well, well, yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Look at his upfield burst. So, in this situation, I want to look at the same thing I'll look at for any other D-lineman. How quick can he get those first two or three steps upfield? You know, can he threaten that left guard or left tackle? Can he make his job harder just because of his initial first two or three steps? So, looking at those two-gap type players when they rush with a leverage or an outside shoulder it is really the key thing. And from there, if his burst wasn't good, okay, then we'll move from there, but... That's going to be the true indicator of what his upfield burst is.
0: And to just kind of bring this full circle, when you saw Buckner against Washington State on that first and 20 play, a chance to just, you know, threaten a gap off the snap, what did you find?
1: I thought it was solid. You know, I thought it was functional. I thought it was solid. Um, I, I didn't think it was a strength of his compared to other aspects of his game. Um, but had I graded his upfield burst based on the first clip, I would have most definitely written it off as below average. But now when I look at his opportunity to burst off the ball, key the ball, get up field, and affect that left guard's pass set right now, I thought it was solid. I thought it was functional. I thought it was something that the NFL can take and work with and mold, and help him mold himself into a better pass rusher at the next level. All
0: right, now let's take a look at that final category, that third way of getting off the line as defensive lineman, and that's jumping the snap. How do players do this, and can it be effective both – for what they're trying to do on the field, and for when you're trying to evaluate their ability on the
1: field. So players that jump the snap, D-linemen I should say, that jump the snap uh, can give a really false read as it pertains to how athletic and and twitchy they really are. Um, The player I use for this example uh, is Jarrell Worthy, formerly of Michigan State. Um, And I thought what was really interesting with Worthy is that you'll turn on the film of him, and you'll see him get off the ball so quickly and, and penetrate the offensive line and get in the backfield and, and create big tackle-for-loss situations. But you look at a player like Worthy when he doesn't have the advantage of jumping the snap or knowing the cadence or playing against a team that doesn't leverage hard counts or dummy counts or things of that nature, and you look at what they do when they don't have that advantage Now you really get to see, does he have the processing skills to react as soon as the ball snaps? Does he have the quick twitch, lower body, uh, and athletic traits to get off the ball and affect that guard without the advantage of knowing when the snap's going to occur? Um, And those are things that are really key to look hard at when you're looking at a player who you think may be jumping the snap.
0: When you're going through your film work on a guy like Worthy, do you try to then find road games or games maybe in a tougher environment where he can't try to jump the cadence, he can't even possibly hear the cadence, so the team might be going silent count to try to get a good look at what he can do, what the quick twitch ability he does have?
1: I would definitely agree with that. I think let's just take this Jarrell Worthy from Michigan State, for example. I would definitely look at home games because home games are going to make a lot of noise for the defense, could make it hard for him to hear hear the quarterback's cadence. Um, Ideally, through the course of an entire 80, 90, 100-snap game, you can pick apart a couple snaps where he does not jump the snap, but I would definitely say home games would be key for that. Um, And then as far as, again, once the snap occurs, I want to see the same explosive two or three steps upfield And if he can still threaten that guard, if it's a or offensive tackle, if it's a DN, see if he can still threaten that player with his quick-twitch athletic traits and processing skill.
0: Do you think that there's sometimes, I don't want to use the word lazy, but people can find examples of a guy jumping the snap and kind of hang their hat on that when they say, look, this guy gets upfield quickly, this guy's got great burst, but they're relying on the wrong play to show it?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. I think there's definitely you know, it's not necessarily a lazy thing. It's just understanding what to look for and how to look for it. Um, I think in the case of draw worthy, you could put together a 50 play clip from his last college season and say, hey, you know, this is a, an Aaron Donald type player where he's an elite penetrating three technique who can, who can disrupt the run and pass game with his upfield verse. But then you slow down and you look at his full body of work and you say, hey, you know, when he doesn't have the advantage of knowing when the cadence and knowing when the ball is going to be snapped, you don't see a whole lot of disruptive lower body athletic traits to disrupt a guard's pass set. You don't see a lot of explosive upper body strength to lead him into an offensive lineman's chest and disrupt his pass set or its ability to block in the run game. And outside of the ability here and there to jump the cadence, I didn't see a quick reaction to the ball being snapped. So, I think what's really important is to understand when a defensive lineman is jumping the snap, not necessarily to knock him for jumping the snap, um, but to definitely look for situations where when he doesn't have that jump, what kind of processing skills does he have? What kind of quick switch lower athletic body traits does he have and move from there?
0: Now, you did find you know, one good and one bad example from Worthy to kind of bring this one full circle. In the good example, what was it that he did well that stood out to you? And in the bad example, how did things kind of go badly for him?
1: Well, in the first example, uh, going against Ohio State, they lined up with a tight end to the right, and he lined up as a three technique to the strong side. Um, Ohio State ran some sort of lead uh, zone, lead run play with a fullback. Um, and as soon as the ball was snapped, he leveraged a rip move, um, anticipated the cadence, jumped on the snap, ripped past the right guard, wrong arm the fullback in the backfield, and tackled the running back for a loss of three or so. And that looked really impressive. You know, I thought his upfield burst at first was very good on that play. Um, but then I look to the second play um, when, again, he's aligned as three technique to the tight end side. Um, it's a play action pass, and you can see initially um, he'll try and jump the snap almost jump off sides and then get a, and then get his, excuse me, woo, and then get off the ball a little late. Um, and from here you can see, you know, you don't see the same twitch off the ball. You don't see the same quick twitch athletic ability uh, because, you know, like I've said, he doesn't have that jump on the snap. And because of this, the right guard can sit down in his anchor face, get his hands inside, stop the bull rush right away, and the quarterback can make a clean throw downfield.
0: So, Sal, I, I want to thank you for walking us through the piece. It's great stuff. I definitely want people to go check it out and read it. It's in, incredible work whether you evaluate defensive linemen or not. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you wanted to hit from this piece?
1: So I would just, to recap overall, number one, context is king. Context is key in any evaluation you do. Uh, second of all, don't forget the three main schools of thought, which is keying the ball, keen the offensive lineman, jumping the snap. Uh, when a player is keying the ball, make sure you look for that helmet tilt inside. Um, reading the old line key two-gap technique is very popular here. Um, square up helmets and shoulders to the offensive lineman. The frog stance, as people like to call it, is often re- related and tied with this technique. And then, lastly, with the jump and the snap, you know it can be very deceptive. I'm not saying players that jump the snap can't be good at bursting upfield um, because they can have that athletic ability and, and processing skills, but don't rely just on someone who jumps the snap as someone who is automatically athletic and has good processing skills. Look hard when that player does not have that jump. What does he show on film? And as I went into in the piece, a drill worthy type player I think has something like under three sacks and under 20 tackles in three years and 15 or 16 games played. So that goes to show you how that case study worked out. So make sure you remember all that context and you'll be on your way of properly evaluating upfield burst. Well, Sal,
0: again, thanks for that tremendous advice for people out there that are looking to evaluate this position. If you want more advice like this, definitely give Sal a follow on Twitter at SC2Football. Sal's a great young football mind that you should all be following. Thanks again to him. Thanks to you guys for listening to the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Again, check out the website InsideThePylon.com and follow us on Twitter at ITPylon. We'll be back again. Until next time, I'm Mark Schofield for Inside the Pylon.